iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right. Here we are. I never understand this studio. Everything's always plugged into a funny place. I've got some headphones. I had a proper tech meltdown today. Did I you couldn't... actually have a hissy fit? I can't imagine that. No, so I didn't have a hissy fit, although tech Did you have is, a panic? is my rage place. Okay. It's absolutely my rage place. Just because I can't... I just feel so angry for myself when I can't do something because I know that I'm just not going to be able to solve the problem. And I couldn't... We had an interview that was ready to go. Yeah. The interview that we're going to play out today. Which is excellent. I'm which really is Daisy Goodwin. So it's yeah. really important. And, you know, she's having a very busy day and it's great to get her and all that kind of stuff. And you must have this all the time, especially in telly. You know, when you're up against something, you don't want to keep everybody waiting. Oh. There are lots of other people, you know, who are doing their stuff. And, and I was the one causing the problems. Cause I, I normally to... um, call technical support. But, I mean, that is in my house and is it your, <laughs> it's my daughter's your daughter? and they're not yeah. always available. That's but I tell thing. you what, what's so kind of brilliant but also irritating in some ways is they come in and they go... And in five seconds it's all done. Yep. And then they say things like, why didn't you set up a bit earlier? I'm like, well, I was here for what seemed to me like ages. Yeah, unfortunately, both of my children were very selfishly in school today. It's very inconvenient. Very inconvenient. But so, I do try, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And also being that newsreader thing in me, as probably as well as you, you just don't want to be the one that lets the side down no. or not make the exactly the, the headlines one, yes. or whatever it is. I know I went out early yesterday, which is terrible. But yeah, you don't want to be the one, do you? No, I not don't. at all. Not at all. Has anybody ever got so uh, fed up with an interview that they've walked out on you? Um, no, I don't think they've walked out on me, but I very nearly walked out on an interview. Why? Because they were so... I'm not going to mention their name, but they are a very famous actor. Um, <laughs> Donna, I was about to add loads of details there, but I'm not going to give you... I've interviewed lots of people, OK? Like, just to dear be listener, don't, don't worry, I'll find out. <laughs> Go on. Anyway, very famous actor, and I was... I always live my life, I would say, at the edges, okay? So, you know, things are, you know, th I don't need things to go wrong. And I'm, as I say, I don't want to be the person to make things go wrong. But I'd um, got done breakfast in Salford in Media City, which is in the northwest of the UK. And I'd taken a train down to London to do this interview with big, big Hollywood, well, he's in Hollywood films, actor. And he was late and I really wanted to get home to take to put the children to bed, give them their supper, whatever it was. I just really did not want to be right in London at that time. And um, he came in, he goes, I mean, who even watches BBC Breakfast? Have you got any viewers? Ouch. And the answer to that question... Six million. Thank you, Fee. Yeah. Yeah, six million. 
But obviously, I being me went, yeah, yeah, we've got viewers. My aunt watches. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just like, let, let's buy some sort of sympathy, I don't know, empathy into this rather than be boasty. Yeah, we got six million, which I maybe should have done. And he just went on being rude. And I promise you, I had one of those moments which doesn't come over me very often, but it's like a physical feeling. I was just like, do you know what? I don't want to be here. He doesn't want to be here. And I just, I'm just going to, I want to walk out now. And I didn't. And I went back to my boss and I said, this happened. And he was so rude. And he said, I said, God, I, I just wish I could have walked out. And my boss said a brilliant thing to me. He said, you know, next time that happens, do. And it never happened again because I think I had that red card in my back pocket. Yeah. And I knew that I had the power to go, right, you know what? I'm out, you're out, yeah. let's go. Well, but yes, I'm it was close. Absolutely with your boss. And especially now, don't you think, as, as viewers, we want to see the reality, don't we? We don't want to see the endless fakery. And, no. And those press junkets, I think, are nightmarish. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just, you know, just play the game, right? He's been paid enormous amounts to do the publicity for his film, which I don't think was very good, by the way. But I would think that now in hindsight, wouldn't I? But, you know, just just play the game. Be polite and just do your job. And also, how long was he expected to sit there being interviewed by I mean, you? all of, like, probably seven and a half minutes. Yeah, so go figure. Go figure. Yep. Anyway, right, uh, so, well, sorry, I'll, we digress. No, it's all right. I'll, I'll let everybody know. Have you uh, huffed out? In a, in, a, never... in a couple of weeks' time, exactly who that person was. <laughs> no, she will, I'm just going to randomly drop a name into a conversation about something else because then it will be untraceable. Uh, so uh, it would also keep people listening. Uh, no, I've never, um, I've never walked out of anything. But uh, yes, I, uh, Michael Winner, walked out of an, an interview with, with me you. Once. Yep, and as you know, and Joan Collins had me evicted from a press conference. Joan uh, Collins, what had you done? Do you know what? With the benefit of hindsight. Louise mentioned she was right to because was she? yeah it was at BAFTA and she had launched a fitness DVD uh, thingamajiggy uh, that she had filmed uh, in the Caribbean in these very lush surroundings and that you know it involved doing kind of push-ups against a tree in a slightly seductive way and you know for an audience I mean it's a winner who liked that kind of thing <laughs> it was an absolute winner and I was a I was way too cocky and I asked her some kind of a age related question okay. you know about whether or not that was appropriate and it's not a question that I would ask now of course I wouldn't want to see an older woman being asked that by a younger woman so the bad was absolutely on me and she was right I mean she's Joan Collins she is so Joan she Collins, basically just said that one over there no more questions oh gosh and you know, how did you she feel uh, how did I feel? It took me a little while to process that the bad was on me. It was a good thing that I did sit down and have a bit of a think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I don't know. I don't. I think it was a little bit water off a duck's back. Interesting. In that, yeah. you know, kind of twenty-something way. But it wasn't. Sometimes, it just wasn't a good move by me. I mean, I've made, I've asked terrible questions as well. And sometimes you need a little bit of kind of self-reflection on whether that was the right thing to ask. Yes, and in you? the moment you can think this is hilarious. Yeah, and hey, look at me. Uh, and actually, it's just not. It was just a really stupid question. And of course, I'd watch the DVD now. I mean, the woman looks amazing. I bet she does. I mean, I look at 67-year-old women on Insta. I know I'm not meant to look at Insta because it's probably bad for my mental health. But I look at them and go, my gosh, they're awesome. If I can be like them, that's fantastic. Yeah, and if you can, you know, if you can turn around a fitness video filmed in the Caribbean, I mean, that's just a win-win. <laughs> Bring it on. Hindsight's so. great thing, isn't it? Sorry, Joni baby.
Uh, right, this comes in from John, who says, I was really fascinated to listen to how Louise Minchin has battled for equality at the BBC, but it also reminded me that some years ago, it has been pointed out that too often men on breakfast sofas sit on the left as we read left to right. It's a subtle but clear sign of precedent. I noticed when Dan Walker joined the more senior Louise, he took up that prime spot. It seems small, but it really does send a subliminal message. Gina Davis has done similar studies about this bias in film. I was curious to ask if either of you have noticed subtle prejudice that often you think is small but in fact makes a big difference. Well, that turned into a whopper, didn't it? It turned, that went. And thank you, do you know what? It's very strange because that happened a long time ago. That happened 10 years ago. So for for listeners that don't know, I presented BBC Breakfast for many years. Bill Turnbull left the show and then Dan Walker, who's actually much younger than me, which is, you know, shouldn't be a big thing, right? Um, and had never presented BBC Breakfast, was sat in Bill Turnbull's seat. So if you're looking at us from the telly, they sat on the left and I sat on the right. And there is a school of thought, though it's not proven, that we read left to right in English, for example. Uh, so you assume the person on the left is more important. So why would the person who's been there longer, was the argument, and I'm smiling as I say this because... <laughs> I don't know why I'm smiling actually because it's really important you know what for me image is really important and subtle things really matter so the point that somebody made and it was hilarious and you reminded me this what's been brilliant about the last few weeks for some reason it's kind of come up again somebody wrote to the times or somewhere saying hello my name's Dot and I'm from Cheshire and how come is it that Louise who's the most experienced and older person on this sofa doesn't get to sit in the prime position which is the one on the left and it went global feed. There were massive think pieces about, you know, what this is a subtle form of sexism, etc, etc. And yeah, I think things really matter like that because it's subtle messaging. I think it's huge messaging as well. Yeah. And and I remember it uh, as a as a news story. Uh, and obviously, I was incredibly sympathetic to towards you. What did it do, though, to the dynamic between you and Dan? Oh, and no, who then very, solved it? That's a very interesting question. So, um, it, it was never a problem between me and Dan because that wasn't him who decided that. Do you see what I mean? And he always had my back. And I think we had a... And he talks... We've talked about it recently. With, you know, there are a couple of occasions where we had what I would say difficult conversations and we probably had a difficult conversation about that. But we were always... We just kind of had this agreement that we were on the same team, we backed each other and we would have equality. Uh, whether that was doing the first interview or whatever it was, we were going to share and we would kind of put our foot down on that, which we did. And then, you know, we talk about subtle messaging and then in my book, um, Fearless, which is out now, there's been much made of... Well done. The, uh, like, yeah. Did I say it? Did I mention I had a book? <laughs> which you're reading, which yeah. I love, by the no, way. Don't worry, keep, keep, keep going. Keep anyway, going. on... A side point, yeah. only brought up because John said this. Um, uh, there, you know, I started noticing that Dan always got to say hello and do the first interview and read, you know, the lead intro, and I was just like, "What on earth is this about?" And I, it took me three months to get that changed. Three months of taking note about how often that happened, and it did get changed. But having been slightly bruised by the left-right row, I kind of knew that I had to have my evidence in, in order to present that to my boss and uh, get that changed. I think that's awful. I think it is awful that in a meeting, somebody didn't immediately say when 
Bill left and yeah. when a younger, less experienced they, they, they man but they, came in. They argued that that wasn't, it just wasn't the case. It was just because left was where, you know, Dan was tall, so he sat. But they just would, they they literally, that was just not an argument that they could see or would have, would have agreed with. But what about the opening the programme and doing the Yeah, so interview? opening the programme um, thing. So what's interesting about that is I think we have to be very careful that things don't go backwards because I've spoken to Sean, for example. Sean and Bill absolutely used to share that so so that was shared and then it just sort of slipped into and I don't quite know how I'm not sure even people made conscious decisions about it but it's just because uh, it they just slipped into always giving it to the the guy first and that honestly until you notice something some things can go you know, unseen it was a lady at a charity thing who said to me look, look Louise how come he, they always read the first headline and I thought gosh if the audience notice and I've noticed it's really subtle messaging for you who's sitting at home if you're a mum of two or whatever it is how come the, the woman who's been there for much longer is always seeming mm. to be subtly second fiddle yeah. am I explaining it for you're you? explaining it perfectly and you know I find it one of those old tropes of uh, the media that it amazes me anybody would want to still adhere to because, you know, it uh, it just it is such powerful messaging who mm -hmm. speaks first. It's quite powerful messaging whose name comes first and in lots of other areas. So in films, you know, they will have agents who obsess about, you know, which placing on the screen someone's name comes up in mm -hmm. the credits and mm -hmm. all of the title and all of that kind of stuff because it recognises how important that kind of thing is and we have still got such a long way to go in our industry in in radio mm -hmm. to flip that pairing of older man younger woman which has existed ever since somebody managed to compress radio waves into sound which was sort of brilliant about mine and dan's partnership because yes. we were the exception to that rule and, yeah. and it was a good partnership wasn't it until well, i love being with him to leave <laughs> That was the hours. It wasn't Dan. Let's be really clear. But it was, you know, there I, you know, I was older, more experienced in a new in a news background, and I just think, and we had a great relationship, and it clearly, you know, people, I think, you know, enjoyed that. So yeah. it does, it's not like it doesn't work. No, and and also I do think it can be fun. I think we've got a long way to go actually before the pendulum swing has gone all the way to the other side and come back and settled in the middle because sometimes that pairing across generations of what used to be older man younger woman yeah. it was funny you know there would be a, there would be a gap in the middle where yeah. you could create a little bit of humor yeah. and that i think works equally well with an old woman and a slightly yeah, younger man but we're really not brave enough no to allow that bit in the middle to be explored yet because at all but it will be for me he was just like i've got a younger brother and he was just who i adore and slightly irritates me hi mark <laughs> yeah, hello mark <laughs> but and that's where the beauty of the relationship was because yeah. you can, you know, you can have relationships like that which are really fun and I don't know, we just, we had a great time. Yeah, good, anyway. good. Uh, so thank you for that question, John. I hope that answered it. Uh, In a very roundabout no, way. No, it was very good. <laughs> we are a roundabout kind of a <laughs> podcast. Um, I did want to just ask you uh, a little thing about your book and then we will introduce Daisy Goodwin because... Did you mention I had a book? Really? It, I did mention it, but it's called Fearless. And I started reading it... Uh, <laughs> 
properly last night. And honestly, I mean, it just... <laughs> You're exhausted. You no, know, these women, they just could not be further from what I think is acceptable in a human being. <laughs> I mean, the, so tell me about Christine. You, so Christine, I, I yeah. um, so well, the, the good thing about the book, so there is there are eight, there are 18 women in the book, 17 different chapters, and you can read it in a chronological form, or as I directed Fee last night, because I knew this is how this would she'd react to this, you can read it in different, just pick up a, a chapter. And this particular chapter is about wild caving. And so Christine Grosser is a paramedic, and her form of fun is to explore caves going deep into the earth, often scuba diving. So she will go into a cave, squeeze into tiny spaces, dragging her scuba gear, dive down in the utter darkness, swim along with, I love the sort of James Bond little things that pull them along, 200 metres. I mean, it makes me lose my breath even talking about it. She is utterly amazing. She is exploring places in this planet where humans have never been before. Where humans never should go. Well... It's just made me feel, uh, I mean, beyond breathless, mm-hmm. actually. I do not understand uh, anybody's mentality to want to go anywhere where the sun doesn't shine. But she's got this explorer's, adventurer's mentality and that's what she wants to do. It was like, you know, the first person to be on the top of Everest. There are people who want to be that person. And I just think it's... I mean, I never. I went wild caving with her. There was I went for four hours and it was horrific. I hated virtually every single second of it. There's not enough money in the world to make me do it again. Um, but I have huge, huge admiration um, because, we, again, we talked earlier this week, didn't we, about explorers and always assuming, well, the assumption might be that they might be male and all the rest of it. But the women this, in my book are all doing things um, at the edges of what I think is... <laughs> Oh, what is it? Uh, certainly past the edges of my barriers. They're just amazing. They're all doing exploring all sorts of different areas of sport and I just love them. Love mm. her particularly. So I really understand that. Right, okay. Pushing at boundaries. But I think that, I suppose it is just a different mentality. Whenever I see somebody who does that kind of, there's a mountain, I must climb it thing, mm-hmm. I just... I just recoil from it because I think there's a mountain, it poses danger... Uh, you know, really lovely people in your family might miss you, actually, if you had an accident up there and you never came back. And lots of people would have to come and rescue you. And then I'd have to do an interview that I didn't really believe in all about how extraordinary it was. So that's my... I don't even know where to unpick that. (laughs) I mean, yes, people would miss you, but hopefully you'd be okay. Uh, No, but I just see see danger and, um, and potential... You know, fatality. Well, I think there's a lot. One of one of the things that happened to me on the in the big adventures that I did, there is danger, obviously. But most of the women really are, are very. They plan. You know, they don't take this. They're not. They're not gung ho. You know, Christine, for example, plans meticulously. She's got all the safety in place. Um, I do think that um, fear is actually a good thing because it does. It does sometimes stop you doing things that are really stupid. And there are moments, there's a moment when I was on a 
dual carriageway cycling in Argentina with this amazing woman who's a, who's an endurance runner called Mimi Anderson. And I just got the fear, got the fear that I was going to do all of those things. Because you and I have probably got, you've got 31 years of bad news stories in your brain, haven't you? Yeah. And I just thought, actually, yeah, I've got the fear. Um, I can ma- imagine, I was imagining doing exactly what you're doing. If I have an accident, I'm going to feel like such an idiot, my f- impact on my family, all the rest of it. And I just said, Mimi, I'm scared. And we got off. And actually, that was a really good thing to do sometimes to admit that actually, this is not a great moment and I need to just have a little bit of time off. So your gut is a good thing, but... I learned a lot from them about why to push your boundaries. And I think if you do push boundaries and do things that you have been scared of and managed to do them, then in your life, when, for example, you're in a really tricky boss, in an interview with your boss or whatever it is, you've got backup and you think, you know what, I can do this. I'm brave enough. I've done brave things and I can take him on and I can have that conversation. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I suppose, let me just put it to you. Go There's on, a completely go on. other way of approaching life, which is to allow so much silt to settle in the bottom of your river that your feet are immovable within it. What does that mean? And that is my approach what to life now. What means? So instead of that kind of, you know... Forward, forward notion. notion. And being able to take a massive leap mm-hmm. and believing that something you know, your own resilience or whatever will catch you. I think I am happier now to just be so stuck in where I am that that's the bit that gives me my kind of... Okay, I think we have to certainty. fundamentally differ on this then, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Which is but nice. I like that. Uh, yeah, so yeah. do I. I like that. And the thing is, a book about that won't sell. So <laughs> I, I, think I don't might... know. You could argue that your book's <laughs> done extremely well. <laughs> so. I a winner there. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, right, uh, more questions for Louise. We've only got her for another day on the podcast, kids. It's Jane and Fee at Times.radio. And actually, we do need to talk tomorrow. Uh, will you remind me? And Kate, our producer, will remind me too. Hello, Kate. We definitely need stories from I'm a Celebrity. I've <laughs> yeah. given you a couple of days to read back through the NDA. Yeah. You can work I out. I have read it recently, yeah, actually. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that. I'm so fascinated by that programme. Most of all, just what earth do you do all day? Anyway, that's for tomorrow. Today we have got a really, really brilliant guest who is in the eye of a new storm at the moment. So Daisy Goodwin is an astonishingly uh, successful television producer. Uh, She's produced quite a lot of things that you would definitely recognise on television. The Apprentice uh, is one of her executive production roles. Uh, So she's a really, really big cheese and she's also written several books. She has been a mental health campaigner. She's now in her 60s and she has recently, over the last 48, hours given a couple of interviews detailing an episode from her past from about 10 years ago where she went to a production meeting with a special advisor at the time to David Cameron a man called Daniel Causey and she will tell you what happened in that meeting and also why it has taken her quite some time to name him and the reasons that she has for naming him now. So Daisy and I had a chat earlier on today and I started by asking her to explain exactly what had happened before that meeting and what happened in the meeting. I'd met Daniel Kulski a couple of times socially and I was a television producer at that point, was running a independent production company and I had been a producer, or I'd been the first producer on The Apprentice, and Daniel and I uh, were talking about whether it was possible to produce a programme about the efforts of the Department of Trade to sell, to support small exporters abroad. Uh, in other words, to do some kind of competition 
Paul Matt with the Department of Trade. Um, and so we discussed this, which, I mean, it, it sounds unlikely, but, you know, you can sometimes find great programs and very unlikely things. Um, and as part of this discussion, uh, he invited me to Downing Street, uh, where I went in 2013. Uh, I turned up there on my bicycle. I left it outside the gates of Downing Street. I went in. They took my phone away. Um, they kept me waiting for about an hour. He kept me waiting for about an hour. It's not the end of the world, but I, I was parked on a sort of bench outside the gents, which was, you know, slightly weird. Uh, and then he turns up and he shows me into the Thatcher drawing room, which is where there's a big picture of Lady Thatcher. And we sit round a... He shows me to the Glen Eagles summit table. Um, he comments on my glasses, which I'm wearing sunglasses, uh, and he says, you look like Monica Lucci in your sunglasses, which is, which is kind of a, a strange thing to say. Um, it was the time that the new Bond film had just come out, and I, I, I assume it was a compliment, but it was, it was a bit weird. Um, and then he made some other sort of just slightly weird, flirtatious, frisky remarks, which... Uh, you know, I mean, I'm no stranger to flirtation, but it was a sort of odd place to do it. And then he put his feet on my chair. We were sitting around a round table and his feet were on my chair, which I also felt was slightly, you know, invading my space in a slightly odd way. And then we chatted back and forth for a while. I don't, I, I can't remember how really how much we talked about the idea but I think I did, I, I'm, I'm sure I tried to quite quite a lot um, and then we got up and as I was leaving he put his hand on my breast and I said have you really are you really putting your hand on my breast and he sort of sprang back but you know that's where his hand was and you know, it's one of those things I mean I thought about it a lot but that's where his hand was could I be mistaken? I don't think so, especially given the slightly awkward tone of the conversation before that. I mean, so I, I was sort of shocked, surprised. I'm not in any way traumatised because, you know, I think as I said in my piece, I was taller and older and generally uglier than he was. So I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't in fear of being assaulted, but I did feel... I felt surprised, amazed, dismayed, astonished, and a bit, yeah, and a bit humiliated. I mean, it seemed a very odd thing to do to a woman who's 15 years older than you in Downing Street. Anyway, uh, I then, I then leave quite swiftly, and um, to add insult to injury, <laughs> I get outside to find that special branch are surrounding my bicycle with guns drawn because they thought it my bicycle pannier might contain a bomb. Anyway, luckily, I could prove to them that it didn't. And I cycled back to my office. How did you report what had happened to other people in the next couple of days? And what did you say when you got back to your office? You'll never guess what happened. It was so weird. I went to see this guy and, you know, he ended up groping me. That, it, you know, I, that's basically what I said. And... Um, 
think people were amazed. And I told, told a lot of people at the time. Um, in fact, I told a lot of people at the time. I also told someone I met a few months later at a dinner party who worked for the cabinet office about what had happened. And, you know, so if they didn't know before, they certainly knew later. Um, I mean, you know, I made it, I mean, I, I made no secret of it, but it, it didn't occur to me at the time, for which I feel responsible, it didn't occur to me to report it to someone. And frankly, who would I report it to? Because as I discovered yesterday, trying to report something, trying to report somebody in Downing Street's very hard. Just, I mean, I spent most, I spent a couple of hours yesterday trying to get through to someone, and it's not easy. But actually, later on, I realised it wasn't really very funny, and it was actually horrible, and that while it might be uh, easy for me to brush off someone like that, it might not be so easy for somebody who was junior to him, working for him, or whatever. I don't take myself so seriously that I think that somebody, you know, behaving inappropriately to me is the end of the world, but I, I sort of feel that... I think we've got to a stage now where we shouldn't have to tolerate, women should not have to tolerate that kind of behaviour. Mm. And, you know, if people like me don't say something, then who's going to? Because, you know, people say, oh, you're brave for speaking out. I don't feel particularly brave. I just feel, well, you know, I'm, I'm a 61-year-old woman with a long and fairly successful career. If I'm too scared to speak out, then frankly, the world is never going to change. Had you been aware of other women who had had the same experience with Daniel Korski, and was that one of the reasons why you wanted to speak out now? To be honest, I didn't know of anybody who had had an experience like that with Daniel Korski until I wrote my piece. And yesterday, when it was published, I was contacted by three women who'd had similar experiences. So I felt um, justified in having written the piece because I realised that, you know, as I suspected, that I wasn't the only one. And Daisy, when you had mentioned that incident to people over the years, had you told people who it was? Had you mentioned his name? And if you had... What had people's reaction to that been? I mean, the people, my friends, were like, God, how weird, how extraordinary. Um, I think they could see that I wasn't traumatised, so I don't think they were rushing to um, offer me counselling. But um, I can't say that... Well, I, I mean, no action was taken. I mean, I sort of... I didn't take it very far, but I did, I did tell the one person I met who might be able to do something about it. And as far as I could see, nothing happened. And then later on, um, in 2017, because of the Me Too movement, I, I, it became clear to me that I had been remiss in not doing anything about it because I suddenly realised just how prevalent this kind of behaviour was. And having been someone who rather prided myself on just not taking any notice of that kind of thing, I thought, well, that's fine for me, but it, it wouldn't be fine for my daughters and 
you know, why should I, why should there be one law for me and one law for them? So, uh, and, 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 and it's, it's not good enough to say, you know, we had to deal with this in the past, you know, get on with it. Uh, nobody should have to deal with this. So I decided to write a piece uh, for the Radio Times in which I said, you know, things are changing, thank goodness. I talked about a time when I'd been molested on a tube train when I was 15 and my parents had basically said, yeah, this is awful, but there's nothing we can do because it'll be your word against his. And, you know, I think they were trying to spare me the sort of humiliation of, of going to court. But, you know, I was a 15-year-old schoolgirl and the guard wrote me between the legs, you know, the, and I hit him with my Greek dictionary. So, you know, that was a fairly clear-cut case. Um, and now I feel, you know, they should have done something because he might have molested somebody else who didn't have a Greek dictionary to hand. And I also think that, you know, it was my duty to do something. So I wrote this piece and... What was interesting, I didn't name him at the time because I didn't really see the point of naming him at the time. Uh, the, the interesting thing was the reaction, which was a number of people who work, who have worked in the cabinet office, sort of suggested a name. Uh, you know, all, everyone seemed to know who it was. And that suggests that they were aware of his behaviour. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our big interview this afternoon is with Daisy Goodwin and we're talking about her account of that meeting that she had with Daniel Korski that has caused so many complications now. I asked what she expected to happen after she had named him in the press and whether she expected someone from the Conservative Party to get in touch with her. Um, well, I didn't know what to expect, but nobody from Conservative Party headquarters has got in touch with me. A lot of other people have. No, one, no one's been in touch with me. I mean, no, I, that I, I, no, yesterday I did try, because um, I thought, well, I need to do this as a member of the public group because, um, you know, it would be interesting to see just how easy and difficult it is to make a complaint. So there's a lot of debate about who I should complain to. So I, I decided to complain to the Cabinet Office. So I rang up the switchboard at number 10 um, and they... <laughs> 
they kept saying, but where are you calling from? What organisation do you represent? I said, well, I don't know, sort of aggrieved, aggrieved women, women everywhere. And I got, they said, we don't take messages. I finally got through to someone who said, oh, well, I'll get someone to call me back. They never did. And then I, um, and I did say, my name's Daisy Goodwin. I've written a piece. It's in the Times today about how I was, I mean, I explained myself and nobody called me back. And then later, and then I spoke, and then I sent an email to the Cabinet Secretary's office saying, I'd like to make a complaint about being read by, about, you know, misconduct by Daniel Kulski in 2013. Again, I got, <laughs> I got an out-of-office reply on the um, on my email saying, <laughs> there's nobody here to, to answer your email, um, but, you know, at weekends, you can try this number on Switch, and I thought, well, that's, that's very helpful. And what would you like to happen now? Because you are now in a situation where you're locking horns with a man who has a completely different recollection of events and has completely denied that any of those things have taken place and has basically said that your recollection is not correct. Well, as Mandy Rice Davis famously said, he would, wouldn't he? I mean, I... I literally have no reason to be here um, other than the fact that I think a man who behaves like that should not be the leading candidate uh, for to be the Tory for the Tory party to be mayor. Surely there are men out there who don't have a, a past, a dodgy past, who um, are more suitable for the job. I mean, you know, I, I, I feel that a man who's capable of this kind of behaviour shouldn't be mayor. Um, and it's not, you know, I mean, obviously people have tangled love lives. It's not that. But, you know, behaving like that in a public place and abusing power in that way, I think, is is not on. And I would hope it wouldn't happen to anyone else. I think the fact that I have been contacted by other women suggests that I'm not alone and that perhaps my recollection... You know, I mean, I know what happened, and I think the fact that other women have um, gone through similar experiences suggests that, you know, there is a pattern of behaviour there. And that's, you know, that's not acceptable. I know that you've said that you didn't want to feel like a victim and you didn't want to behave like one. And I think there's something so important, Daisy, in somebody of your kind of stature actually saying that because sometimes it is hard for people to understand why women don't always want to report every single thing that happened to them because it does change how you can feel about yourself can't it totally and if I spent if I'd spent my early life reporting all the things that had happened to me. I'd never do anything else. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't want to feel a victim. I don't want to portray myself as a victim. No one needs to feel sorry for me. Um, I'm angry because I, I think it's wrong that this sort of thing goes on, especially in Downing Street. I mean, anywhere, actually. I don't think, I don't think men... I mean, I think men with impulse control problems, which I think is what Daniel Korski has, 
are probably not the best people to run the country. That that would that's my considered opinion. So, you know, and I don't know. I, I I would imagine that a lot of other people might agree with me on that. I just think people who can't keep their hands <laughs> to themselves should, you know, should not be in positions of power. Um, it's not that I'm a prude. I just think you don't rope virtual strangers in public. Would you also just like to tell our listeners all of the other things that you could have been doing over the last 48 hours rather than <laughs> having discussed yeah. this? Well, I, I've, I've got a book. I'm in the middle of writing. I've got a thousand things. I'm, at this moment, I'm meant to be going to do uh, an interview about you know, Osborne House, 150 years of Osborne House. I'm, I'm going on holiday tonight. I, I really, um, I'm squeezing this in because, you know, I want to put my point across. But I, I can't say that I enjoy it. Um, you know, it, it, it gives me no pleasure to be doing this. I just think sometimes you've got to do um, the right thing. And a very respected person who I, well, in his lot, rang me about three weeks ago and said, did you know, did I know that, that Corsky was running for mayor? And I said, I didn't. And he said, oh, okay, well, you know, what next? And I think, and I respect him very much, and, you know, I think he made me feel that, that this was the right thing to do. And, you know, I... I, I too feel that it's the right thing to do. And, I mean, if, if Daniel Korski had at any point reached out to me and apologised or said, you know, maybe that would have been a different thing or whatever, but, you know, his his tactic is, is the age-old tactic of denying everything, the woman's a bit of a fantasist, what does she know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, you can doubt my veracity, everybody can doubt my veracity if they want to, but there is really no reason for me to make this up. Um, I, I don't need, I don't need any, um, I don't need, I don't need to be here. Um, I don't particularly want to be here. So, um, and after this, I'm really, this is the last word I'm going to say on this. And I wouldn't have done it publicly, except that all the other channels seem to be, you know, that the, I mean, I did, at one point, I heard that he was going up for a directorship uh, at a government department, and I happened to know someone who was the chair of that board, and we were talking about him, and I told that person the story of what had happened to me, and that person, who I, I really can't name, was uh, very grateful to me for that information didn't get that directorship, which suggests that, you know, um, well, it, it's interesting that, that that he didn't get that directorship and yet um, he's, stand, you know, he's being backed as a candidate for the Tory mayor. So if Daniel Korski is listening to this, uh, a lot of people do listen to Times Radio, Daisy. We're grateful to you for having spoken to us. Uh, what would you say to him? I think he should withdraw. I mean, it's as simple as that.
Daisy Goodwin, who was talking to me earlier today. So, Louise, I think as we chatted a bit yesterday, um, you know, there will hopefully now be an investigation and perhaps we'll learn more about what happened in that meeting. But I think what I just hold in all of these cases uh, is just the really simple premise of why would a woman ruin... Uh, part of her week, part of her day, part of her memory, actually part of her reputation, mm-hmm. because now we're talking about Daisy Goodwin in a different way to how we t- would have talked about her last week, which would just be about her work. Why would anyone do that to themselves? It is a tough thing to do. Yeah, and then you put yourself out there, don't you? And there comes all sorts of criticism and questioning, you know, people questioning whether that's, you know, you know, that her account is the account, etc, etc. And not least of which, I mean, I've been, we alluded earlier, nothing, not a lot like this, but, you know, to be part of that news cycle is very bruising. She's made herself very vulnerable, hasn't she? And that's a very brave thing to do. Mm. Um, and I mean, hats off to her for saying that, actually. And I really like the point, and it's one you know that we've all been trying to explore over the last decade or so, and it looks like we need to carry on, just about the type of qualities that have been celebrated in men for a very long time that are seen as part of their success and not part of a failure. Mm. And actually, there just is a different judgment because I don't know of very many women in positions of power for whom there has ever been a whirl of sexual gossip around them. I just don't, yeah. and that's just a fact. That might be because I simply haven't been party to those conversations. It could be loads of things, or it could just be that's not the type of woman who is allowed to get to the top. Mm. But there just is a lot of evidence about male behaviour, which is why we're talking about it again today. And then also, um, aside from this case, because it gets difficult, doesn't it, um, I just think that point that she's made somewhere else, that she, you know, people put their hands up and then suddenly other people go, and this is not in this case, by the way, but, you know, that, you know, you put your hand up and you say, this happened to me. And then other people go, yeah, it did actually happen to me too. And it takes a lot of bravery to be that first person. And I'm not saying this is the case in this case, but it takes a lot to do that, to be that first person Um, and then, you know, I mean, it's incumbent on all of us because it's a hard thing to do, isn't it, to even, you know, to come out of that meeting and go, this happened. Because, again, you're making yourself so vulnerable, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah? And what a weird thing to have to go back to the office. I know. And someone goes, how was that? Do you get a production idea out of it? And you go, well... No, actually. Yeah. This is what I got out of it. Yeah. Anyway, so. we need to we need to keep having these conversations and, and you know, good on for all those people who do put up their hands when things like that do happen on behalf of the other people who can't or are not in a position to. And obviously we would love to hear from Daniel Korski if he'd like to come on the programme and therefore on the podcast. Uh, we would certainly give him an equivalent time and an equivalent hearing. Uh, if you're listening, Jane and Fee at times.radio. Goodbye. Bye. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. 
You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, ladies. A lady listener. Sorry. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.